Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 24, so let me start by reading the heading first. Revelation given to Joseph Smith the prophet and Oliver Cowdery at Harmony, Pennsylvania, July 1830. Though less than four months had elapsed since the church was organized, persecution had become intense, and the leaders had to seek safety in partial seclusion. The following three revelations were given at this time to strengthen, encourage, and instruct them. During the month of April 1830, Joseph Smith spent time at the home of Joseph Knight Sr. of Colesville, New York. The Knights were willing to hear Joseph Smith's message. While there, the prophet cast out an evil spirit from Newell Knight, one of Joseph Knight's sons. Most of those who witnessed the miracle eventually sought baptism. This brought increased op- opposition from neighbors, some trying to prevent baptisms others bringing lawsuits against the prophet based on trumped-up charges. The prophet was always acquitted of the charges but lost much time. Joseph had the responsibility of caring for his family and at the same time leading, counseling, and directing the newly organized church. After the prophet returned from Colesville, New York, to his home in Harmony, Pennsylvania, the Lord gave him what is now known as Section 24. Joseph did not record a specific reason for this revelation, but the courtroom experiences certainly made him aware that efforts were being made to absorb his time and impede the work of the restoration. Another couple comments here. After our departure from Colesville, after the trial, the church there were very anxious, as might be expected, concerning our again visiting them, during which time Sister Knight, wife of Newell Knight, had a dream which enabled her to say that we would visit them that day, which really came to pass. For a few hours afterwards we arrived, and thus was our faith much strengthened concerning dreams and visions in the last days, foretold by the ancient prophet Joel. And although we this time were forced to seek safety from our enemies by flight, yet did we feel confident that eventually we should come off victorious if we only continued faithful to him who had called us forth from darkness into the marvelous light of the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shortly after our return home, we received the following commandments. Verse 1, Behold, thou wast called and chosen to write the Book of Mormon and to my ministry, and I have lifted thee up out of thine afflictions and have counseled thee that thou hast been delivered from all thine enemies and thou hast been delivered from the powers of Satan and from darkness. As the night follows the day, so opposition follows truth. The promised restoration of all things has witnessed the revival of all past arguments against God's earthly kingdom along with the spirit of antagonism known to the saints of all dispensations past. It seems, said Joseph Smith, as though the adversary was aware at a very early period of my life that I was destined to prove a disturber and an annoyer of his kingdom. Else why should the the powers of darkness combine against me? The church was but weeks old when Joseph Smith was arrested on charges of being a disorderly person and setting the country in an uproar by preaching the Book of Mormon. The arresting constable was to have delivered him into a mob ambush, but impressed with his character instead aided his escape. James Davidson and John Reed, Esquires, respectable farmers, men renowned for their integrity and well-deserved in the the laws of their country, 
well-versed in the laws of their country, were retained to defend the prophet, which they did successfully. But alas, as Reed told the story, the devil, not satisfied with his defeat, stirred up a man not unlike himself to go to the adjoining county and obtain a writ against Joseph there. Allowed neither food nor rest, Joseph was immediately taken captive by the arresting officer. He took me to a tavern, Joseph recounted, and gathered in a number of men who used very every means to abuse, ridicule, and insult me. They spit upon me, pointed their fingers at me, saying, prophesy, prophesy, and thus did they imitate those who crucified the Savior of mankind, not knowing what they did. Friends of the prophet again sought Davidson and Reed to defend him. I made every reasonable excuse I could, John Reed said, as I was nearly worn down through fatigue and want of sleep, as I had been engaged in lawsuits for two days and nearly the whole of two nights, while Mr. Knight was pleading with me to go a peculiar, dis, a peculiar impression or thought struck my mind that I must go and defend him, for he was the Lord's anointed. I did not know what it meant, but thought I must go and clear the, the Lord's anointed. I said I would go and started with as much faith as the apostles had when they could remove mountains, accompanied by Father Knight, who was like the old patriarch that followed the ark of God to the city of David. The second trial, Joseph Smith said, many witnesses were again called forward and examined, some of whom swore to the utmost palpable falsehoods and like the false witnesses which had appeared against me the day previous. They con contradicted themselves so plainly that the court would not admit their testimony. Others were called who showed by their zeal that they were willing enough to prove something against me, but all they could do was to tell something which somebody else had told them. These trials were but the pattern, the prototype of that which the future would witness a thousand times over, though the enemies of the church would quickly learn that printer's ink was safer than public cross-examination. Of his attorneys, the prophet said, they spoke like men inspired of God, whilst those who were arrayed against me trembled under the sound of their voices and quailed before them like criminals before a bar of justice. This too this too prefigured many a future scene. Whilst I was engaged in the case and when I came to speak upon it, said John Reed, I was inspired with an eloquence which was altogether new to me and which was overpowering and irresistible. I succeeded as I expected in obtaining the, pr the prisoner's discharge. Verse two, nevertheless, thou art not excusable in thy transgressions. Everyone is accountable for their sins. Nevertheless, go thy way and sin no more. Magnify thine office and after thou hast sowed thy fields and secured them. Go speedily into the church or branch, which is in Colesville, Fayette, and Manchester, and they shall support thee. They'll give you food and lodging, and I will bless them both spiritually and temporally. But if they receive thee not, I will send them, I will send upon them a cursing instead of a blessing. And thou shalt continue in calling upon God in my name and writing the things which shall be given thee by the, by the Comforter and expounding all scriptures unto the church. The prophet began at this time to arrange and copy the revelations he had received for publication. It was also at this time that he received the revelation known to us as Moses chapter 1, which was the beginning of his work on the inspired version of the Bible. Verse 6, and, I shall be given, and it shall be given thee in the very moment what thou shalt speak and write, and they shall hear it, or I will send unto them a cursing instead of a blessing. By the power of the Holy Ghost, one can speak or write spontaneously. Joseph Smith did both. He commonly received revelations in meetings with other per, others present. Indeed, we would be within the mark to say that most of the revelations were received in this manner. Initially, he did not record revelations as he received them. He had, however, the ability to recall them at will. 
This revelation directed him to prepare the revelations he had received so that copies could be made of them. Parley P. Pratt, who was present when several revelations were received, described the process thus. Each sentence was uttered slowly and very distinctly and with a pause between each, sufficiently long for it to be recorded by an ordinary writer in longhand. This was the manner in which all his written revelations were obtained or were dictated and written. There was never any hesitation reviewing or reading back in order to keep the run of the subject. William E. McClellan in, the, in like manner said, I as scribe have written revelations from the mouth of the prophet and I have been present many times when others wrote for Joseph, therefore I speak as one having experience. The scribe seats himself at a desk or table with pen, ink, and then read, read aloud each sentence. Thus they proceed until the revelator says amen, at the close of which is then communicated. I have known Joseph without premeditation to thus deliver off in broken sentences some of the most sublime pieces of composition which I ever perused in any book. So you can see the process there of revelation that Joseph is receiving and how they would uh, write it down when he uh, when he finished. Verse 7, For thou shalt devote all thy services, all thy service in Zion, and in this thou shalt have strength. Be patient in afflictions, for thou shalt have many, but endure. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? You'll have many afflictions. Great. But endure them, for lo, I am with thee even unto the end of thy days. And in temporal labors thou shalt not have strength, for this is not thy calling. In other words, he's not going to be financially secure. He's not going to be really well, do well with money or assets or things. That's not his calling. Attend to thy calling and thou shalt have wherewith to magnify thine office and to expound all scriptures and continue in laying on of the hands and confirming the churches. In addition to, this, to his many responsibilities in the church, Joseph Smith had a family and he could not neglect them, although his responsibility was chiefly a spiritual one. Although not completely relieved from responsibility for his temporal needs at that time, the prophet was told by the Lord to look to the church for temporal support. Elder McConkie commented that those who are asked to give full-time service to the church, all our service in, in God's kingdom is predicated on his eternal law, which states the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion, for if they labor for money, they shall perish. We know full well what the laborer is worthy of is higher, and that those who devote all their time to the building up of the kingdom must be provided with food, clothing, shelter, and the necessaries of life. We must employ teachers in our schools, architects to design our temples, contractors to build our synagogues, and managers to run our businesses. But those so employed, along with the whole membership of the church, participate also on a free will and voluntary basis in otherwise furthering the Lord's work. Bank presidents work on well on welfare projects, architects leave their drafting boards to go on missions, contractors lay down their tools to serve as home teachers or bishops, lawyers put aside corpus juris and the civil code to act as guides on Temple Square, teachers leave the classroom to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions, musicians who make their livelihood from their Artistry willingly direct church choirs and perform in church gatherings. Artists who paint for a living are pleased to volunteer their services freely. Temporal support from the members is probably only part of what is implied in these verses, however. The members were encouraged to support and sustain the prophet in every possible way. Joseph's call was to labor in the things of the Spirit, and that in this he was to be blessed. Others would be granted the ability to accumulate the wealth of the world. He would not. Those so blessed are expected to contribute liberally of their means to the building of the kingdom of God. 
Critics of the prophet have accused him of attempting to obtain power and wealth. Such charges expose only their own desires and ignorance. Every key power and authority that Joseph ever received, he gave to others. The same was true of temporal things. All that he had, he freely gave to those in need. I know that uh, when he was in charge of the Kirtland store, um, oftentimes that when people couldn't afford to buy stuff, he would just give it away. Uh, and that was kind of the downfall of the store too. Didn't do very well. Brigham Young described Joseph's nature. You that have lived in Nauvoo, in Missouri, in Kirtland, Ohio, can, can you assign a reason why Joseph could not keep a store and be a merchant? Let me just give you a few reasons, and there are men here who know how markets went in those how matters went in those days. Joseph goes to New York and buys twenty thousand dollars worth of goods, comes into Kirtland, and commences to trade. In comes one of the brethren, brother Joseph. Let me have a, a frock pattern for my wife. What if Joseph says, "No, I cannot without the money"? The consequence would be he has no profit, says James. Pretty soon, Thomas walks in. Brother Joseph, will you trust me for a pair of boots? No, I cannot let them go without the money. Well, says Thomas, Brother Joseph is no prophet. I have found that out, and I am glad of it. After a while, in comes Bill, and Sister Susan says, says Bill, Brother Joseph, I want a shawl. I, I have not got the money, but I wish you to trust me for a week for, or a fortnight. Well, Brother Joseph thinks the others have, have gone and apostatized. And he don't know, but these goods will make the whole church do the same. So he lets Bill have a shawl. Bill walks off with it and meets a brother. Well, says he, what do you think of, of Brother Joseph? Oh, he is a first-rate man, and I fully believe he is a prophet. See here, he has trusted me this shawl. Richard says, I think I will go down and see if he won't trust me, trust me some. In walks Richard. Brother Joseph, I want to trade about $20. Well, says Joseph, these goods will make the people apostatize, so over they go. They are of less value than the people. Richard gets his goods. Another comes in the same way to make a trade of $25, and so it goes. Joseph was a first-rate fellow with them all the time, provided he never would ask them to pay him. In this way, it is easy for us to make away a first-rate store of goods and be in debt for them. Verse 10. And thy brother Oliver shall continue in bearing my name before the world and also to the church, and he shall not suppose that he can say enough in my cause, and lo, I am with him to the end. In me he shall have glory, and not of himself, whether in weakness or in strength, whether in bonds or free. And at all times and in all places he shall open his mouth and declare my gospel, as with the voice of a trump, both day and night, and I will give unto him strength such as is not known among men. Require not miracles, except I shall command you, except casting out devils, healing the sick, and against poisonous serpents, and against deadly poisons. And these things ye shall not do, except it be required of you, by them who desire it, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, for ye shall do according to that which is written. And in whatsoever place ye shall enter, and they receive you not in my name, ye shall leave a, a cursing instead of a blessing, by casting off the dust of your feet against them as a testimony, and cleansing your feet by the wayside. Now, let me just explain a couple things about this particular verse. Uh, we think uh, sometimes about uh, the washing of feet or the dusting off of our feet as a curse to, to those that might reject us. Let me just read you a couple of comments here by the brethren. The same injunctions given in this revelation were given by the Savior to the twelve in the meridian day. Luke records it thus. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the, the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, 
neither staves nor scrip, neither bread nor neither money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house she enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the, the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Connecting uh, or commenting on this verse, Elder James E. Talmage observed, to ceremonially shake the dust from one's feet as a testimony against another was understood by the Jews to symbolize a cessation of fellowship and a renunciation of all responsibility for consequences that might follow. It became an ordinance of, a, of accusation and testimony by the Lord's instructions to his apostles as cited in the text. In the current dispensation, the Lord has similarly directed his authorized servants to do so or to so testify against those who willfully and maliciously oppose the truth when authoritatively presented. The responsibility of testifying before the Lord by this accusing symbol is so great that the means may be employed only under unusual and extreme conditions as the Spirit of the Lord may direct. After the call of the Twelve in our day, we would, we would understand this authority to rest with them as it did anciently or to those to whom they, they directly give it. The authority to perform the same has not been given to missionaries generally. Those performing this ordinance are further directed that it not be done in the presence of those who, are who they are testifying against, lest thou provoke them, but in secret, and wash thy feet as a testimony against them in the day of judgment. So that's something that's been retained by the Twelve in the First Presidency to do that if, if, if there's a need for it to happen, which uh, doesn't happen very often. Verse 16, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall lay their hands upon you by violence, ye shall command to be smitten in my name. And behold, I will smite them according to your words in mine own due time. And whosoever shall go to the law with thee shall be cursed by the law. And thou shalt take no purse nor scrip, neither staves, neither two coats, for the church shall give unto thee in the very hour what thou needest for food and for raiment and for shoes and for money and for scrip. Now, this is not the case today. We're not asked to go out without purse or scrip today as missionaries, but uh, this is how it was back in the day uh, under Joseph Smith. Verse 19, For thou art called to prune my vineyard with a mighty pruning, yea, even for the last time. Yea, and also all those whom thou hast ordained, and they shall do even according to this pattern. Amen. Our dispensation is the last when the gospel will be preached prior to the second coming. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, that the gospel's true, and that uh, this is the beginning of the unfolding of the restoration, which, as President Nelson says, is still ongoing. I bear testimony of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.